Welcome to the NCTM podcast. Uh, We're in the middle of May in the summer term of 2018 and we've come to a primary school in Bristol. And we're here to talk about primary maths today, in particular some professional development materials which the NCTM are in the process of producing. Some have been published already and others will be published during the rest of this school year and next year. Um, The NCTM have been doing this closely with teachers uh, working through Maths Hubs. It's been a, a joint project, NCTM and Maths Hubs, and it's all about how to try to help teachers uh, adopt, implement, experiment with a teaching for mastery approach in primary maths. So with me I've got two people today, Debbie Morgan, the NCTM Director for Primary, who is, I suppose, Executive Editor of this entire project, it's her territory, and also with me is Claire Christie, who works at this school in Bristol, or rather this federation of schools in Bristol, Ashley Downs Schools Federation. She's a primary teacher, of course, and a maths lead for that federation, but she also works closely with the Boolean Maths Hub, which is based here in Bristol, and also, while she's sitting opposite me here today, a key writer and editor in this project. So let's start with a very high-level question, uh, Debbie and Claire. Uh, What's the broad objective of these materials? Why did you set out to produce them, Debbie? Okay, well, the materials sit very much within the context of Teaching for Mastery. And Teaching for Mastery builds children's understanding in small, incremental, connected steps. Um, And the success of of that approach means that we provide the access for children, the necessary scaffold and support that they need, but we also look at the detail and provide the rigour um, in the mathematics, and that in turn leads to that deep and sustained learning that then can be built upon um, ensuring good good progress. Now, constructing these small steps, which are really important, as we've said, requires a very high level of teacher subject knowledge, a particular type of teacher subject knowledge that, that goes deep, looks at how the mathematics works, how it fits together enable, to enable children to really make sense and really get hold of this subject knowledge. And so these materials um, provide that level of subject knowledge and that necessary support Mm. for teachers to build that that knowledge. Claire, that phrase subject knowledge, some people think that that just means being able to do the maths yourselves, doesn't it? But subject knowledge here means something far different. Yeah, and that's one of the really critical things that the materials focus on is is pedagogical subject knowledge, sometimes called pedagogical content knowledge, um, actually how to teach those um, uh, concepts that the children are meeting. And the first materials have been, have been published at our year one uh, materials. So the, the maths itself is easy for most teachers to do, but certainly not easy to teach um, without having thought deeply about how best to help five and six year olds uh, make sense of some fundamental number concepts. And lots of what we start in year one continues as the basis through the materials. So the materials are divided up into what we call spines. The first one is number and addition, and there are 30 segments within number and addition. And we've published right now in the middle of May about uh, 16 of these so far. That's year one and year two. And each segment consists of what we call a teacher guide, which is quite a big, meaty document, and also a set of uh, representations in, in a PowerPoint. And we're going to first of all, look at how both of these elements are structured. So firstly, well, Debbie, um, just let, let's 
dig down one level deeper. How is each teacher guide structured? So each teacher guide sets off with an, an overview of the learning within that guide. Um, and the learning may last between two to four to maybe six weeks. Um, that will be that will be determined by the content and the children and the teachers will make that decision as to how long they spent. I mean, typically within Teaching for Mastery anyway, we are spending longer on, on topics in order to master and secure that learning and to go to go deeper, deeper with it. So the overview identifies um, the key, the key teaching points and those key teaching points are very um, um, progressive. They're set in a particular order in order that we start with one bit of learning. And then once we've got hold of that, we take that bit of learning and build on it subsequently through until we become secure in the concept that we are trying to attain. Um, the um, actual guides um, are in two columns, you'll notice. Um, um, and in the, in the left-hand column is, the, is, is mainly text, and that text um, supports the teacher in seeing the steps in, in learning as we go through, identifying things like difficult points, identifying key questions we might ask, identifying um, how we might get children to engage and discuss and think about key key aspects. Um, and in the right-hand column, um, we have lots of representations. So representations, as we'll see, feature strongly within the materials because they're the things that will provide the access for children, for children to have those moments when they say, oh, yeah, I get it, I can see that. Um, and so they're, so they're, they're there in, in, that, in that column. Um, the journey is very much um, small steps. Um, Claire, do you want to talk a little bit about those those small steps? Let's just pause, just because if you're listening to us here in a car, then don't do anything I'm about to say. But you might want to, if you're listening at home, get a computer in front of you, get the NTTM uh, materials in front of you, open up a segment. We're going to be talking about segment eight in some detail shortly. So you could press the pause button of this podcast get segment eight in front of you, and then you could start looking at the sorts of things we're going to be talking about. Because, as Debbie just said, every segment, every teacher guide has common features which will be appearing in all of them, which you might want to look out for. And the first one of those, Debbie mentioned, Claire, is that throughout uh, a feature is small steps. Yeah, and that's really kind of critical to the planning and discussion that's gone into them among the teachers that have been involved in writing them. Um, Every segment and every new teaching point within each segment starts from something, starts from a point that we know all children can do, um, a point that's been um, taught really clearly in a previous segment, for example. And the materials are very carefully planned to take small steps from what the children can do towards something that we know can be difficult for the children. Um, trying not to leave anything to chance along that journey, trying to elicit every piece of the jigsaw and every building block they need to master the concepts within their year group. Um, and, and the order is absolutely fundamental. The order's critical, and that's something we've talked a lot about in writing them. We've used the phrase that it's a, it's a progressive journey. It's not a pick, pick and mix of activities. So rather than, for example, in teaching point one, might have five um, steps within it, um, they're planned to follow on from one another. And that's something I would definitely encourage teachers to um, be aware of as they're using them. 
think, well, what is it that's different? Why is 1.3 further on than 1.2? Oh, I see how that's a little bit more difficult or just done in a different way. Um, and in terms of using them as a tool to develop teacher um, professional subject knowledge, I think that's one of the really critical things um, within them. Yeah, I, I, and, and I think coming, coming in there, I think what's, what's really key is that, is that they aren't isolated steps, that actually the steps are there in that particular order so that children can reason and connect and can build on, oh, yeah, if I, if I can make sense of this bit, oh, yeah, this bit isn't very much different. Ah, oh, yes, I've made that connection. And so that is that reason journey that we want children to take, to take, to take, take, take them through that. Um, it's also important to say that actually, um, although we've set it out as one journey through the mathematics, we're not by any means claiming that there is only one journey. But, but we thought it would be much clearer if we just chose one particular journey and show how conceptual understanding is built um, through that um, journey. Other routes might and well be taken or other representations used, but we were just exemplifying one particular journey through. It's probably also worth saying at this point that actually we, we've set out to, to support and develop teacher subject knowledge through them. And it's perhaps an unusual approach that and we've taken in that um, because traditionally you might buy a book on subject knowledge and have chapters on, on key concepts and discussion points. But actually what we've done is made a direct link into classroom practice and exemplified that subject knowledge through the journey that children might take. Um, in building concepts. It's important to point out, isn't it, that these have been written not just by Debbie and Claire I'm sitting with here, but the writing team on this are primary teachers themselves, about a dozen of them, spending most of their time in primary classrooms teaching maths right now. So that's where the real link to current classroom practice Steve, there's one other thing um, that I think is worth picking up in um, while we're answering your question about how they're designed. Debbie's talked about um, the connections that are made all through the materials. And I think it's worth saying at this point that um, the materials are curriculum aligned in that if you teach the uh the if you cover all the content within the materials you will be covering um the statutory content of the national curriculum however they're not um they they very actively try to make connections between strands of the national curriculum so um the teaching um the segment that we'll come to talk about 1.8 um is an additive uh, place value segment, um, but also has very clear links to multiplicative reasoning. Um, and I think that's something really worth highlighting in the design of them, that real clear want to make links between different strands of the curriculum content. OK, we'll come to 1.8 in a moment in detail, but let's just carry on going through the common features of every teacher guide. Debbie, you mentioned that the, the layout is uh, one column on the left, mainly with text, explanations, and on the right, representations. And the representations link with this key factor uh, connected to teaching for mastery variation, unless I'm mistaken. Yes, they do, and they're very much linked. I mean, most people have heard of a, a CPA approach. Um, they, I think it's important to say when considering CPA, CPA can be thought of as very mechanical. First I do some concrete, then I do some pictorial, and then I do the abstract. But actually what, what really needs to happen for children to secure learning is to move between those three modes, and the materials do just that. And one of those, 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 those modes is, 
is the is the pictorial, the representations, and they are really key to, to accessing. But the, the concrete um, mode, obviously you can't have a concrete mode in a, on a piece of paper, but it's very much um, encouraged um, that actually when you see a block of, of 10 cubes on the, on the screen, then actually it may well be a really good idea if children had, a, had 10 blocks, cubes in their hand in order to make a, um, a strip of 10. Um, but it's also important in terms of thinking about concrete pictorial abstract is that um, when do we remove that those um, concrete things um, and, and all those pictorial things and move completely into the abstract because that is our end goal at the end of the day. We don't want to do it too quickly and lose children, but we don't want to do it too slowly mm-hmm. um, so that they become um, reliant on the concrete as a means to do the mass rather than as a means to expose structure um, with that. Claire, do you want to just say a bit more about the, how the representations expose mathematical structure? Yeah, I mean, the representations, um, we use a kind of a a core set of representations throughout. So some common um, models, um, such as uh, Dean's or Base 10 equipment. So this is throughout all of the teacher guides. Throughout all of the teacher guides. um, You'll see repeatedly used. And the part-part-whole model um, is used regularly. And um, other models are used when they clearly elicit the concept that we're trying to draw children's attention to or the structure that we're trying to expose um, for children. Um, and so that core set of representations will goes all the way through the materials. And certainly, I'd say we'll, we'll talk later about how you might use the materials. But that's one thing I would say that is worth picking up within professional development in school is spending some time looking at those core representations and how they transcend year groups and in some cases how they transcend um, kind of subject matter as well. Okay, let's carry on. There's something on the tip of your tongue, Debbie. There is, yeah. You just mentioned variation and I didn't really address that, Steve, and so I just want to come back to that. Um, Yeah, I mean, the representations fit within the context of variation. Variation has become quite a, a new popular word within the in English culture um, um, and mathematics te- teaching in, in recent years. It's been there for a long time, but it's become to the fore um, recently. Um, and it is a really powerful um, um, research-based um, idea. Um, basically, how variation is seen in the materials is through the representations. One aspect of variation says that if we can represent the same concept in different ways then we will will arrive at a deeper understanding of that concept rather than just looking at that concept in one fixed way. So that's one aspect of variation. Another variation, part of variation, is is that um, as I proceed through the lesson, it's what's kept the same and what changes that builds. So although the word vary is in variation, it's very often the opposite of that, is what I keep the same, because children get this, and then I change very little so that the next step in learning, children are successful in because they're, they're taking through what they already know and just adding something new to it. And you will see variation also in, in exercises, in practice exercises, where the, the carefully chosen examples might well use very similar numbers. One of the numbers in an equation might be kept the same all the way through in order that children can make those um, um, connections. So variation is very much about making the connections and about developing that, that deeper learning. So you just use that word practice, so I'm just going to slightly jump ahead. The, another common feature here is that within the teacher guides, I just dropped my pen, within the teacher guides, uh, there are short uh, 
segments of practice, uh, things which teachers can give children to do, but they're not complete exercises, are they, Claire? Why are they there, these short practice elements? Yeah, they're by no means complete exercises. And um, as we talk about how teachers will use the books, one of the things we'll mention is about using them alongside textbooks or other resources, and they will provide more complete practice. Um, they're exemplifications of the kind of practice that might be given to children um, to consolidate the concepts that are being looked at. Um, and I think there's probably at least a couple of types that are worth pulling out. So um, some of the um, series of practice that are given, either pictorial um, presentation or presentation of equations, will really elicit um, a generalisation that's being exposed. So um, if I look in segment eight um, at one stage when we're looking at adding 10 or 10 more, adding 10 to a multiple of 10, there's a series which is 10 add 10, 20 add 10, 10, 30 add 10. And the discussion of that series will uh, help children to identify that when we're adding 10, the 10s digit increases by one. Um, and then there's also practice um, where um, the children are, um, are kind of towards the end of each teaching point in each segment where the children have to work in isolation. Because at the end of the day, children need to know what 30 out of 10 is without working through a series. And we do draw out through the materials um, the kind of discussion that you might want to have around them and where they're exposing particular ideas um, and there's a variation in terms of context as well all the way through. Um, we try and apply them in practical everyday context for children um, in equations. There's variation within the equations in the structure of the equations. Um, so, um, you know, subtractions with missing minuend, missing subtrahend, as well as missing difference. Um, and actually quite a lot of inequalities as well, Debbie. That's something we've really tried to include, isn't it, through the equations, greater than and less than symbols. And yes. I found those really helpful yeah, to expose um, structures. Yeah, I mean, I mean we're, we are, throughout these materials, probably worth mentioning that we are drawing on research um, and we eventually um, hope to publish a bibliography of all the research that we, we, we've accessed and indeed we're working with Alf, Alf Coles from, from um, Bristol University who's, who's a, a researcher in, in primary mathematics um, and, 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 and one aspect of, of, of research that we've looked at is the use of the inequality symbols. It's very interesting that in in, in, in other countries the, the inequality symbols are introduced before the equal symbols uh, whereas we don't introduce it until year two, well after we've introduced the, the equal symbols. And the idea behind that is that is that actually mathematics is about comparing, comparing numbers, comparing relationships. And so therefore, if I'm going to understand what equals means, I need to understand what is not equal. Either it's something that is greater than or less than. So we introduce those inequality symbols really early and then we continue to use them. You'll see them continue to be used throughout the practice um, across all strands and across all year groups within the spine. So that was variation. Another common feature of these materials is common difficulty points. Now, is this the same as misconceptions? Because this word features as well, doesn't it, in teachers' knowledge? So is this the same? Or why is there a bit of a nuance there, uh, common difficulty points, that explains why you've chosen that phrase and not misconceptions. Yeah, I think there is a, a nuance there. Um, they may not necessarily be um, misconceptions because children haven't learned the concept yet. Um, so it's not that they're misunderstanding, but actually it's that it's that presupposing that actually from experience, you know, teachers out there have lots of experience. They know what the difficult things are that children find hard. And so it's thinking about those things carefully. And in particular, the materials, you know, um, include those because that's important for children to access and be successful 
um, in the mathematics. You know, if this is a difficult point, how can we do it differently? How can we do it in a way that children can access it and can say, yeah, I get it, um, I understand it. And, and planning for those difficult points um, can, can really support uh, children's learning in overcoming them. They're not necessarily um, kind of flagged under the title as you go through common difficulty point but they're included in lots of the narrative in the left hand column and um and it, you know they're, they're so as experienced teachers you know the kind of mistakes children are going to make and we've really heavily i think it's worth talking about the design of the materials is heavily drawn on those as well um and f- the experience the teachers that have written them has helped to think well what small steps could we take to help minimise the chances yeah. of make children making those common errors or struggling with the things that historically they might have found difficult. Yeah, okay. I, th- I think we very much come from the from the principle that actually um, all children can do mathematics if we give it to them in the right way, and that's what we're that's what we're trying to aim. There's an expectation that actually all children will it will it will achieve um, within this. It's probably worth talking a little bit about differentiation at this point, Claire. Yeah, yeah, that's um, definitely worth saying. And one of the things we discussed extensively with the writers is the idea of um, differentiation, um, access strategies for all being the very carefully thought through representations um, and the small steps in learning. And that access strategy um, provides a way for children who might not otherwise have kept up with peers to enable them to access the mathematics alongside all of the rest of the children in their class. You used the phrase access strategy. I didn't really get what you meant there. What, what, what did you mean there? So, I mean, historically, a model of differentiation for children that have been the lower attainers within a class has been offering them quite a separate mathematical diet and children doing very different looking things within the classroom. Yeah. Um, what we've spent a lot of time with the writing team talking about is breaking the journey through maths down um, so that by small steps that link one thing to something the children can already do without leaving any gaps, um, those children who might not otherwise have kept up will be supported to do so. The representations are very carefully thought through to expose the particular concept being addressed. So if we're learning to add 10 to a number, the the representation, the the key idea there is that we're adding one 10. There's no chance for them to think, oh, well, I'm going to get 17 cubes and count 10 more, 18, 19, 20, and get up to 27. The, the representations that we've suggested really clearly expose that structure of adding one ten, and that is one of the things that um, has enabled lots of the teachers that have been involved in writing them to teach the whole class together in a way that um, probably four or five years ago I certainly couldn't have imagined would be possible. It's probably worth saying it as well. Um, I think people pick up, you probably understood from what Claire said, that, oh, yeah, this is very good for my lower attainers. It's really providing that access but actually, is it good for your higher attainers? Well, we would say yes, because in terms of in, in breaking the steps down and really looking at the detail, that provides the rigour in the mathematics. So, so all children then develop, including your higher attainers, develop a deep understanding of the mathematics, um, which makes the math more, more sustainable and it also allows them to build on far more successfully in, in, later, in later learning. Okay. Um, you might be hearing a few noises. We've all got computers on here, so there's a, occasionally a squeak or a pop from our computers telling us that something has happened, which is all terribly interesting. Another common feature, a, a key common feature of these materials, is language, and there are various subheadings about language. It's 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 maths, but language is still important, isn't it, Debbie? Yes, abs- absolutely. Um, in fact, language language is key. 
and there are various aspects of language that we have focused on some of them which are new to our pedagogy um, within this country. Um, one of those is the use of what we're calling a stem sentence. Now a stem sentence is is a mathematical structure. Um, it, 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 it might be um, if the, if, um, the whole is divided into four equal parts, each part is one quarter. The whole is divided into five equal parts, each part is one fifth. And so that sentence is repeated within different contexts again and again. And you might say, Oh, that sounds very mechanical. It's just the, the children just chanting stuff. But actually, the, the research shows and our experience shows that what it's doing is giving a language structure to all children in order to explain, verbalise and think clearly about the mathematics. So whenever they come across a fraction, that sentence almost pops out. Um, the whole is divided. Ah, oh, the whole. Let me just think about in this context what the whole is. Divided into equal parts. Ah, oh, it's not equal yet. So let me make them equal and then I'll be able to, to, to um, decide what the size of the fraction is that I, I'm looking at and be able to, to solve a problem um, within that context. Um, teachers sometimes quite find it quite difficult. Even teachers in China find it quite difficult to produce those, those um, STEM sentences. So there is support. We have suggested um, some ideas throughout the materials um, that you can build up and that children can become familiar with in discussing and reasoning and explaining um, the mathematics. So that's STEM sentences, Claire? Yeah, and they often um, make um, that link. We've talked about the link from what children can already do or already know to what they don't yet know or can't yet do and stem sentences often play a role in in bridging that possibly practically and then as debbie said they're a form of representation in themselves so i know that two add three is five so two tens add three tens is is five tens and they can sound um very formal but that being able to put together a logical mathematical argument is such a essential part of maths and i was i mean i was listening to the podcast with the GCSE examiners and they were saying one of the things that the children at GCSE level had struggled with was the prove questions putting together a coherent mathematical argument to prove something and to me that is where this starts is that teaching children to explain something mathematically I know this I know this therefore I know this and I think um, they're a really critical part of actually teaching that skill rather than just assuming that children might kind of absorb it from some high quality mathematical talk around them in the classroom. So when the STEM sentences we're talking about at the moment, these feature in bold print on the left hand column of all teacher guides and also language related in bold print is something called generalised statements. What are generalised statements, Debbie? Um, yeah, we've made a distinction between stem sentences and generalised statements. Um, what should always happen at the end of a lesson, although we've been moving through in small steps, the small steps are aiming at building up a big picture of a concept. And and so the generalised statements just summarises that, that I'm learning. They're, they're, they're not told to children, but they're elicited from children, from what they know, and then we conclude that we all know this, we've all learnt this, and this is, is our generalised statement. For example, um, um, one ten is equal to ten ones. Um, so in segment eight, that, that will be something that we'll be wanting them to tell us, that they picked up, that they know that one ten is equal to ten ones, ten ones is equal to one ten, that they've, they've seen that um, relationship um, between those those um, two aspects. So so they are really important as well. So again, we've, we've highlighted those in bold um, not for the teacher to tell the children, but for to elicit that from the children and to refine 
uh, those generalised statements that the children all say together. It kind of highlights what is important. What am I going to take away? I think very often you can teach a lesson. You'd be surprised what children take away from it. All sorts of things. Not not at least the pigeon that flew past the window um, at a strategic point in the lesson. Um, but actually what you want them to take away is the key bit of learning. All children take away that. And so those generalised statements just summarise. They're, they're, they're definitely not at the beginning of the lesson. The understanding is built and then we conclude the lesson with them at the end. I found them incredibly helpful in my own practice and helping me at the lesson planning stage to elicit what exactly is it that we are learning in this lesson. It's not that we're learning to add fractions. We're learning that when we add fractions, the denominator stays the same. Um, And I found them very, very useful from that point of view and supporting me before the lesson even starts. And there's a third uh, language-related common feature, isn't there? Yeah, so we um, the third thing we wanted to highlight is the kind of um, correct mathematical vocabulary, um, what might sound quite formal mathematical vocabulary, possibly, um, that we use right from the start. So these are introduced and explained to teachers. So the word unitising, for example, um, we'll pick up in um, segment eight, is explained for the teachers and why that's a useful um, word to know and a concept to understand. Um, but also actually in some of the work done with the children. And um, I think that's something that, perhaps historically we've been more nervous about doing in maths than we uh, have certainly say in phonics for example but um, you know my early years team here are always saying to me children are learning new words the whole time there's nothing odd for a a five-year-old or a four-year-old in learning a new word and um, and that's we've used correct vocabulary like partition um, all through the materials um, with the children. Yes because looking if a teacher came to these materials completely fresh without having listened to our discussion, for example, without having anything else, they, they might appear a bit, a bit academic, a bit wordy, a bit intimidating. Is, is that fair, Debbie? They might do at first, yes. Yeah. I, I, don't, I don't claim that these materials are easy. I claim there's a lot of value in them and it's well worth working, working with them. Yeah. Um, if they were easy, they wouldn't do the job that we, that we wanted them to do. So they are materials to, to work with, to, de- to develop with, um, to work with other teachers with, to discuss the ideas in them. Um, and they are professional development materials and we believe in working with them um, that teachers will develop um, through them and become better teachers through them. So there's one final common feature which uh, exists in all of the teacher guides and it's a Chinese phrase. Uh, I can't say it myself. I'm going to get you to say it in a moment. Uh, but it, it, it's it's about well, okay. I'm not going to pretend. I'm not going to try to say what it's about. It's Dong Now Ching. There we are. And uh, but it's an important. What what is it? And what's it trying to do? It's obviously come from Shanghai. Yeah, it's come from Shanghai. I picked it up on my very first visit um, to Shanghai. I've been there about three times now. And um, it's not written about anywhere in the literature, funnily enough. But I I must admit, I became a bit obsessed about it. It was mentioned to me by my translator when I was in in a lesson. And I said, oh, what are they doing now? And the teacher said, oh, they're doing the Dong Nao Ching. And I said, what does Dong Nao Ching mean? And they said, well, it means use your head. Um, Literally, um, when I use the phrase with Chinese teachers, they laugh, partly because of my pronunciation, but also um, because it's a colloquial term. It literally means use your head. You can do it. Use your head. Just just have a think about it. Um, And it's an important aspect of in 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 a Chinese um, lesson. Um, They don't come at the beginning of the lesson. They normally come towards the end of the lesson. Um, 
and we might we might call them a challenge in, in English language. You might say it's, it's a bit of a challenge. You've learnt this now, um, and here's a bit of a challenge for you. Um, the Chinese children look forward to them. They know if they focus really well in the lesson, they think really hard, they make sense of the learning that's happening, then they well might be able to answer the Dong Nao Ching. It's, it's not something for your higher attainers. Is something for everybody. I think a key characteristic of Dong Nao Ching question, which I think is really important, is that it doesn't look like any of the questions we've had so far in the lesson. It looks completely unfamiliar. But actually, the mathematics that we have learnt, you can answer it with it. So it's unfamiliar. So it gives children a real opportunity to apply apply their learning in, a, in an unfamiliar context. So it does develop that problem-solving aspect, which we know is really important. Um, in the, in um, mathematics, so we, we we're using we continue to use the, the, the same term Dong Nao Jing, um, and it's becoming popular um, across the country. One thing I found it just useful to emphasise or discuss with teachers is this is it's not oh there's the reasoning oh I, now I see where the reasoning yeah. is. Um, I, one thing I feel very strongly about is that reasoning is embedded mm. at every stage of the materials um, and something that on the surface, if people are thinking about kind of fluency reasoning and problem solving in terms of three aims of the national curriculum, um, things that on the surface might look like, oh, that's the fluency, are entirely dependent on, on reasoning about relationships within and between um, numbers and sets of numbers. So that's just, for me, a really important message, the reasoning is embedded at every stage of the materials, but some of the Dong Nao Ching questions require children to reason more deeply or apply the knowledge in an unusual or, or different way. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I agree totally with, with Claire. The, the whole idea of variation is that it's a, a reason journey. The reason why we don't change very much, that we keep some things the same, is so that we can connect and we can reason. And there is the expectation in a mastery lesson that children are reasoning all the way throughout. Mm-hmm. They are, they are mm-hmm. thinking, they are sense-making, um, they are explaining their, their, that they've got opportunities to explain their mm-hmm. reasoning um, to the teacher, to, 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 to each, each other. They're expecting it to make sense mm-hmm. to them. And indeed, that's our, our, our job as teachers to enable that to happen. Is it fair to say that the Dong Nao Ching questions, obviously, I think it's obvious, are made available to all of the children in the classroom. Yes. They're not yeah. just given to one table in the corner. Yeah. But would it also be fair to say that um, the degree to which children in the classroom engage with mm-hmm. this question, grapple with this question, succeed in this question, will be different uh, every day, uh, but different throughout the 30 children in the classroom? Yeah, I'd say that. And there's certainly some children who, um, at, in almost every lesson, are going to have got... Th- kind of got a decent enough understanding of the content that they will be able to think more deeply with it but as you say not in every lesson and not predetermined groups of children I think one thing that's important for me is while some children might be able to work on those relatively independently um, that as Debbie alluded to earlier that not only are they made available to all children that all children can have a go at them if they have worked um, solidly through um, the other content within the lesson but actually discussion of those questions afterwards also happens with all of the children in the class so even if they hadn't independently tackle some of the Zhong Naojing questions they're still exposed to a discussion eliciting some of the thinking that is involved in answering them is that fair Debbie, yeah absolutely there, 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 there is real real power in children explaining to each other, I mm-hmm. think, and engaging in those mm-hmm. in those type of discussions. What, one of the features in teaching for mastery that we often use is that one child will have explained something, and then we will go to another child and say, "What did Sally say?" 
And that opportunity, I've just read a research lit, lit, um, article at the weekend, actually, is that saying there's real value in explaining somebody else's ex, um, explanation in actually reasoning and thinking about that piece of mathematics. OK, let's have a look now in, in a bit of detail at segment 1.8, <clears throat> which is called uh, Composition of Numbers Multiples of 10 Up to 100. And it's, it's 30 pages long, so it brings out what Debbie said. These are not easy materials. These are not materials to digest quickly. They're materials to work with. Uh, lots of teachers we've found have printed uh, these uh, teacher guides out, so it's 30 pages of A4, but nevertheless equally uh, usable on a screen. So initially we've got the first five teaching, in fact, the teaching points, mm -hmm. five of them, on a, a written out, uh, and then after that an overview of the learning, and then we go down into the two columns with guidance on the left and representations on the right. So without going through every single page and looking mm -hmm. at every detail, let's pick out some of the elements which exemplify <clears throat> what we've just been talking about. Perhaps we'll take it in turns. Claire, can you start with something that exemplifies what we've been talking about? Um, so you're looking at the overview of learning at the moment, which is the second page. Yeah, OK. So, um, I mean, one of the things I'll um, kind of just briefly build on what I said before is that this is in uh, what's called the additive spine. So it's essentially an additive uh, unit, an additive segment. Um, uh, however, all of the place value segments are uh, included within this. So you will see elements of place value absolutely within it. The children are very clearly learning what the three signifies in the number 30. Um, we're integrating additive work into it. So we're looking at how we add multiples of 10. Well, we know three add two is five. So we can use that to help us understand three tens, add two tens is five tens. Um, and there is also um, clearly multiplicative elements in it. It's called multiples of 10 up to 100. Um, and so lots of this work will feed into the work they do in year two on the 10 times table. Um, so the integration of these things is really key. So one of the things that will feed directly into that, for example, is that later in the um, segment, children are expressing multiples of 10 in terms of repeated addition. So 40 equals 10, add 10, add 10, add 10. So I think that's one thing to initially highlight, the connections made to every element of mathematics um, through the segments. Yeah, absolutely. Um, OK, we've got something else in the overview here. Yeah, so so we've already alluded to um, to um, unitising, for example. So so unitising is, is mentioned in the overview of learning as a very important idea which threads through um, um, the the rest of rest of the of the materials. Um, it's probably all, also just going back to the first page and mm -hmm. worth worth saying that on the first page, the key teaching points are outlined, and there are five key teaching points in this in this segment eight, and the order, as we've alluded to before, is is really important. That actually we we we, um, we, we start off with something that children can all access. That one ten is equivalent to ten ones. Um, we then we then move into looking at understanding having understood what a ten is, looking at, at, at multiples um, of ten, and we can count in multiples of ten. Teaching point three um, moves on to um, let's understand these multiples tens of a little bit deeper, and let's link them to something we already know. We already know about numbers to ten, so now let's link the multiples of ten um, um, to that. Um, and, and that's where the unitizing cut comes in. So, so actually, the, the number two is a unit of two ones, but the number twenty is a unit of two of two of two tens. But it's it's that number two is used in both. So both units of two, either two ones or 
or two tens. Um, and then we, we, we go on then to be beginning to be able to calculate with multiples of 10, recognizing that if I can add three, add two is equal to five, then three tens plus two tens is equal to five tens. Again, continuing with the idea um, of, of um, unitizing and then the final point. Yeah, and and that develops that that idea further. The last two teaching points look at that additive um, calculation. Within all of the teaching points, the starting point is either directly from the previous teaching point or is directly from a previous segment. So um, nothing is assumed that children will know. Everything is mapped back through um, the whole set of materials. Okay, let's just uh, scroll down the, the two columns as we go through the teaching points and, and, and pick out some of the things uh, you you mentioned. Uh, so Debbie is now on page, it's page two actually, looking mm -hmm. at some of the representations and uh, yeah what, what, tell us something about those Debbie. We've talked about the small steps so if you if, if you look at the representations on, on page, page two there are very small steps just in that initial stage of understanding what a, what a, what a unit of ten is um, and so we start off with 10 cubes, we join those two cu 10 cubes together, so we've got 10, cu 10, 10 ones, we join them together to make one 10, and that's drawn out. Um, but then we don't move on, we just take a little step, and actually we, the, the, those, that strip of 10 is red, we just change it to blue. Why have we changed it to blue? We've changed it to blue because actually we don't want to stick in children's head that, st that strips of that 10, units of 10, are always red. That actually the colour doesn't matter. And then the next step, we take that further, we change it into multicolour. So we've got brown and yellow and blue and red um, all mixed in. And then we change it to two groups of five representing 10. Um, so actually even the order doesn't matter. What matters is that quantity, that 10 ones is equal to um, 110. And that goes further then by looking at and comparing 10 cubes in a bowl and the one um, block of 10. Are they the same? Are they equivalent? So we're bringing equivalence into that. Um, uh, talking to a, a, a colleague who's a teacher in, in school recently, she was saying she was using this, this particular unit. And when she asked, was the one strip of 10 equal to the 10 ones in the bowl? The children said, oh, yes. When she then moved on and this strip was this strip of ten was red and the cubes in the bowl were still blue, she said, Are they the same? The children said no. And she suddenly realised they were focusing on colour and not on the not on the quantity. So these ideas are carefully thought through and stepped through in order to to concept build. So let's try that's representations with with a bit of bit of variation in there in the small steps. Let's see whether we can pick out uh, concrete uh, examples of the other common features we spoke about. So we, we talked about common difficulty points, practice, language, and, and the Dong Now Ching questions. Yeah, that's fine. So I'll Let's... pick up on um, in uh, step three, which is knowledge of the zero to ten number line can be used to estimate the position of multiples of uh, ten on a zero to a hundred number line. Um, so where are you now in the... Um... So I am on uh, page 15. Okay, um, page... It's the start of that teaching point. And yeah. then page 16 to 17. I'm looking at the progression um, from a marked zero to ten number line, marked in ones, um, towards, our, by page 17, children being able to estimate the position of multiples of ten on a blank zero to a hundred number line. 
So that picks up on a couple of things. Again, clearly the variation, um, starting from something we know all children can do um, because they've looked at it in a previous segment, which is the positioning of numbers on a um, whole numbers on a zero to ten number line. Um, and the, as you look at the images, you'll see the scaffolding and the very gentle removal um, of scaffolds through to children working on the blank number line. Um, but also on the difficulty point, that's a really nice example of a place where that's elicited. Um, often once children, as children in um, uh, year one, they're, almost everything they've done is additive and a lot of counting based things. So one of the things that is very common when you ask children in year one to position a number on a number line is that they start from zero and they kind of count up in imaginary steps. Um, and sometimes you'll even have them kind of going off the end past the 10 and getting seven positioned after the 10. So what's happening there is they're thinking very additively. They're thinking in that counting based way. Um, and to, to position a number on a blank number line, you need to have a kind of proportional type of thinking. Look at my zero, look at my hundred and make a judgment about the relative position between them. So that is that's ex explained in the materials. This is where what children might find difficult. This is where they might go wrong. And this is why they might go wrong. And here's how you can to support them to avoid um, avoid that. And there's an example there at the bottom of page 17, that's 3.5 of a Dong Nao Ching problem, um, which um, you, you can see there, I won't read it out to you, but nevertheless, these Dong Nao Ching problems are, are, are peppered throughout all of the uh, teacher guides um, uh, at various, various stages mm -hmm. of the learning. That's correct. Um, let's see if we can find a, an example of the stem sentences and generalisations in this segment. So I'm going to scroll down. Look, okay, so I'm I'm on 4.2 now, which is page uh, 21. And so on the left there, there's a stem sentence in bold saying, "This is blank. Ten more than blank is another blank." So just talk us through to me what 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 the what what the idea is there for the teacher to do, and maybe the children to do as well. The um, relationship is incre increasing numbers by 110. I briefly mentioned earlier um, about this uh, moving children from the idea that 10 is 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10 to the idea that it's 110. Um, and one of the things, I mean, teachers will absolutely recognise um, historically that child in the class who adds 10 by counting 10 more. And this is very, very um, um, explicitly building up the idea that we are adding 110. Um, the stem sentences there particularly look at the um, relationship between 10 more and 10 less, so uh, that 40 is 10 more than 30 and 30 is 10 less than 40. Um, and for some children, that language will be obvious, but the particular scaffolding of it makes sure that no one misses out on that important relationship. If, if A is 10 more than B, then B is 10 less than A. Um, and that's the role of the stem sentences. Okay, and there's a generalisation I think I spotted in this uh, segment towards the end, I think. Uh... Yeah, I mean, there's generalisations kind of spotted throughout. throughout. Yes. I mean, one of the ones that Debbie's already mentioned in here is about 10 ones being 110. So they're not just at the end of every segment, no. do they come throughout? They come, the stem sentences come throughout yes. because they... We're, we're, as, as we're building the concept, we want children to focus their attention on what the key points are. So, so when I went through and talked about um, the um, 10 cubes being joined together to make 110 and changing colours, etc., etc., we then want children to really remember that point. So, so shortly after that, then, we'll introduce a, um, a generalisation that, um, that a 110 is equal to 10 ones, because that was a key 
point in learning at that stage. It might well be the end of a lesson, actually. Um, don't forget that these, these materials will, will build lots of lots of lessons and we're not saying and they're not lesson plans by any means that's a really important point um they are about 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 um teachers having sufficient subject knowledge in order to really build rich lessons they will be fantastic supports to lesson to lesson design but they're not written um as as lesson plans so it, it might be that a teacher that that actually just establishing that 110 is equal to 10 ones is one lesson. So that stem sentence, that generalised sentence, sorry, might well come at the end of a lesson. That's maybe a, a key point, really, is to look for the generalised statements mm -hmm. and think about, oh, how many lessons is this? It might well be one or two or three, but just to, to think about how it's um, how, how the unit progresses through and builds um, the concept. Okay, generalise, um, sorry, correct technical vocabulary. You talked about unitising. Mm -hmm. that's, that's one example in this segment of correct uh, technical vocabulary. We've looked at a Dong Liao Ching question. Is there anything else that is shouting at you from this segment uh, that we, we should mention before we talk about generally how you see these uh, materials as a whole being used by teachers? I mean, the phrase multiples of 10, for example, is used in this and um, uh, and not being put off using that by the fact that it's a, a, a segment in the additive spine. Um, but teachers will see th through a lot of the materials that they'll start to get very familiar with these um, words and confident to use them. OK, let's let, let's move then to the, the bigger picture. Mm -hmm. uh, how you see, how you envisage, how you would like to see teachers actually using these materials. You made the point a moment ago, Debbie, these are not lesson plans. So how do you envisage these being used? Obviously, it's up to teachers, and we're in early days. But yeah. what's your initial? Uh... I think I think my ideal is is that is that they're they're being used by a you know a group of teachers working together. I think the the valuable discussion that you can have um, around around this, so the teachers working together in order to plan and to build lessons. So they are very very practical in that sense. Um, so we're not just talking about ideas, but actually we're taking ideas and using them to build lessons to support children's learning in the classroom. Um, so that's that's so that's really um, um, exciting. But it's the type of things in there, or the type of things that teachers should, um, will be really valuable for teachers to talk about that will really impact on the quality um, of their teaching. Of course, it's not always possible to be even with one other teacher, let alone a, a group of, mm -hmm. of, of teachers, but they can be used by the teacher on their own. I think I think um, looking at them and, and starting at it is, is looking at the uh, at the overview of learning at the key teaching points. What is it? What is this about? Why are those teaching points in that particular order? Is that how I would normally do it? Or actually, is it different? If it different, perhaps I should try it and see if it improves. Um, what I what I, what I'm teaching, um, so so to look at that, and and then just to hone in on a small segment, a small segment that might become just one lesson, because it can become they can become quite enormous and and over overwhelming. Yeah. Just hold up, focus in on one thing, such as um, ten ones is equal to one ten. Okay, I really want children to get hold of that concept. If they can get hold of that concept in my first lesson. Gosh, gosh, I'm going to be able to do a lot with that and build and build on 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 that. So just get. I've heard of teachers printing out sections of them and having them next to them as they teach, and that's okay. Um, a teacher said to me who was teaching this this segment um, unit eight, and she said, "Oh, and now make sure you change the colour 
oh yeah, oh yes, and that jogged her mind. And then she was able then to draw out about whether children were attending to the colour or whether they were attending to the quantity. And she was able to emphasise that and make sure that children were thinking um, in the in the in the right way. Now, the, what about the representations? Because there's a PowerPoint yeah, in each absolutely. of these teacher guides alongside with lots and lots of slides, lots of animations, deep, deep detail uh, using the representations that are actually in the teacher guides. Claire, how do you see those being used, the PowerPoints? Um, the PowerPoints, I guess, uh, I would think of as a repository of images from which you can um, pull images to integrate into the resources you're using within your lesson. They are absolutely not a lesson PowerPoint. So, yeah, I guess that's the way I would advise teachers to think is a bank of images as they're teaching. Uh, OK, is there an image or is there a PowerPoint slide that's going to elicit this point? Oh, yes, there is. Great. We'll use that. And as Debbie says, the children have uh, very possibly got practical resources out if they're still at that stage of using them. Yeah. Um, and that's how teachers should um, dip into those PowerPoint slides. Yeah, I mean, they're very exciting, the PowerPoint slides. We, we've put a lot of thought into it um, in terms of how they're because the, what the PowerPoint slides do um, that the um, teacher guys can't be in PDF is that the PowerPoint slides can animate the mathematics. And mathematics is a dynamic subject so to show how concepts work by moving things um, and connecting things things together. So, so therefore, on the screen with the 10 ones, they appear separately. And I, I can imagine in a classroom that the children would, would have their cubes with them and they will be building it as they saw it being built on the screen. And then they suddenly click together and then they come apart again. And you can do that as many times as you like just to make sure that the children um, um, have, have, have got that. The same thing happens when the when we've got 10 eggs in an egg box, which is another representation in this particular segment. The eggs jump out of the egg box and then they jump into the egg box. So you can see that arrangement of 10 um, coming together from 10 one eggs to one, one box of 10 eggs um, as, a, as a unit. So briefly and finally, Claire, how, how do you, Debbie's given her vis, vision mm -hmm. of how teachers might use these. Uh, have you spoken to any teachers who have used them? How do you think they might be used? Yeah, I mean, I guess one thing I'd like to add to what Debbie said is I feel really strongly that these meant, kind of, it sounds a bit naff, but like an, meant to be an empowering resource for teachers. So I would really encourage teachers at the start of a segment to bring to bear all of the knowledge if they've taught a year group before all of that knowledge they have what what did children find hard last year where did they go wrong what was and and all we've tried to do in writing the materials is is take um, that kind of wealth of experience you have as a teacher we've had the time and space to spend a lot of time reading research that classroom teachers don't get to do on a daily basis uh, and and bring all that together and I guess um, I would hope that teachers um, feel a lot of familiarity within them as they're reading them, even if they've not thought about things in exactly that way, that it resonates with things they've noticed or wondered about, even in a fleeting way, rather than a kind of new thing that's arriving to push aside everything that's been done before. So for me, that's like a really important message is it's really having been involved in a team that's had the time and the space to go to this deep, deep level of discussion that's allowed production of this and all teachers are are hopefully going to enjoy thinking about materials in that way. We have now been joined by Joe Creamer, who's a year one teacher and maths lead at uh, a school in Bristol, a nearby school in Bristol, St Peter and St Paul Catholic Primary School in Bristol. Uh, and she has been on the receiving end of these materials that we've been talking about. So it, it, it's really useful to hear from you, Joe, as to how you've found them, how you've used them yourself and with colleagues. So tell us, you know, 
How have you used these materials? Having completed some assessments, I was concerned that my children were not understanding, as I would have wished, addition and subtraction particularly, and also their place value was not secure, and I knew that I needed to reteach it, and it was just at that time that the materials appeared. So I decided to use those materials. So, okay. Actually, let's get down to detail. These they're on the website. You can download, print things. Uh, what exactly did you do? Uh, and did you do it on your own initially or with a small group of other teachers? I did it initially on my own, so I read things and thought about them. That was extremely helpful because what's happened is it's a very logical way of teaching. And it's very small, small, tiny steps. What I particularly liked and what I focused on was the misconceptions, the things that children struggle with, which... If you don't pick up and emphasise those, so I suppose that's the change that I made in my teaching. I began teaching from the teaching points that you will find that children who don't understand, um, and some of those points were so... It's okay, carry on talking. We've got another teacher coming in (laughs) the room. This is a primary school. Uh, Things happen, and I'll also make the point while we're here, there's a bit of music practice going on in the room next door. If you can hear it at home, I hope you're enjoying it. But, uh, so yeah. carry on, so, Joe. So, so I talked from those misconceptions. Some of them I hadn't even realised before were misconceptions. But when you actually looked, you realised that, yes, there were one or two children enough in your class to be making those, having those problems with their mm-hmm. learning. And that actually, hidden amongst that were other children who were just guessing and were perhaps copying other people. So actually, it was very good to go straight from that. So that's one of the changes that I what I found really interesting what you said Joe which I'm really really pleased about is that you didn't take the materials and you didn't just mechanically blindly follow them you've talked about how you sat and you thought about them you thought about what the difficult points were you thought about how your children have those difficult points you thought about things oh I hadn't realized that before and I think that's that's really good because I think that's how teachers should be using them yes they are not a set of plans you cannot say take this this is how you plan your work you have to think about your class you have to think about where 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 you are with them you have to think about what they need and as you say yes you have to to make your own do your own planning it's not planning but it's very helpful all that background detail that you need that is there and i don't know quite where you get that from otherwise well, so you've mentioned uh, one element of them which was very useful to you right at the start, namely misconceptions, common difficulty points. Any, can you think of any other elements of them, common features which you found useful? I also found the breakdown of the different resources that you could use very helpful. So the fact the different that you could use, the different manipulatives you could use, and even just breaking down the different sorts of counting. I don't even know how to pronounce, I know that Gatanego, is that who pronounced it? Gaten- I don't Gatenia. Gatenia. You see, I've seen it, I've read it, I know what it is. Never thought of using it with a year one class, but things like that, very, very helpful. And of course you can photocopy, laminate these things, and the children can have their own copy and use them. And it's just, it's just those little representations. You think, oh, I've done that. But it's just the different ways that children need to see and be experienced to, especially five, six-year-olds, you know. So in passing, how, how big is your school? One form it's one form entry, and I do do a job share, and I am aware that what I'd actually like to do now as a maths lead is I think it ta- I'm a 
I enjoy reading about maths and thinking about it, but I do think people need to be given time to think about how they will use these materials in their planning. I would like some maths staff meetings and inset, because I don't think you can just give them to people without some sort of guidance. I do think people need time to think about how they'll incorporate them next year. So how have you so far, if you have, started to bring your colleagues into this discussion and to help them engage with them? Yes, so I've spoken to my to another the job share year one teacher and we've worked very well together, although she hasn't I think taken in quite as much detail as me yet, but she will. Um, but but it's enough for me to explain. I've been doing the verbal bit, very much like Claire and um, Debbie talk on the video. You can either talk or you can listen to them talking or you can read. I've been doing the reading part of it, but she's had me explaining. So I suppose already that's second hand and I don't want her to do that. I want her to have time to do it herself. And now the year two are online, I've also been speaking to the year two teacher about getting ready for next year. And you've mentioned next year a couple of times. So has a lot of this been preparing for how maths is going to be taught next year? So that's next year, that means from September 2018 onwards. Very much so. I felt as subject lead that I shouldn't expect my colleagues to do it until I'd picked up some things that I thought were helpful. I mean, one of the things I've, I think you need to experience before you expect others to do it. One thing I quickly learned is, however wonderful the slides are, um, I was on playground duty, I came in, there is no way you can just put few slides up and expect the children to look and learn you have to think what they need and use the slides perhaps as a stimulus or perhaps at the end to talk about learning it cannot be that year ones learn from looking at lovely slides and and how does this fit into the wider picture of how maths is taught in the school as a whole are you in any way engaging with teaching for mastery is this part of a bigger journey at all yes very much so we're hoping we've applied to to become one of the teacher research groups for next year so I hope we get accepted on that program we have slowly been trying to do it ourselves Mm -hmm. with with other schools but I think very much what it's shown me is the time that is needed to embed concepts in learning that you cannot rush through things that you have to take those very small steps if you're going to take the whole class with you Great. Well, thank you very much. That's Can been I a, ask you one yes, thing, Debbie, Joe? ask a yeah. question. Because you said at the beginning, this your whole journey started for you because you did some assessments and children hadn't understood addition, subtraction, place value. Um, did you have any success? I, I honestly think, yes, I have. I mean, there's always still things, but for the first time ever, I did not have children writing zero in the tens place. I had every child in the class having, when they're doing multiples of ten, writing them correctly. I've never had that before. So I, you know, as an instant feedback, yes, and um, we'll be doing some assessments soon. I don't like to do lots of assessments all the time but we will be and I'm sure that it has yes that's good to hear okay well thank you again for coming it's really useful to hear uh, in inverted commas a real teacher using these in a real classroom so all the best for the future thank you very much thank you well, unless there's anything else, I think we should draw this to, to a close. It's, it's been very interesting. We hope uh, for you, the listener, this has helped you understand a little bit more about uh, what these materials are about, how you might use them. Um, you can find the materials on the NTTM website, of course, nttm.org.uk forward slash masterypd. They're all there and you can download them yourselves. You don't have to have an internet connection to use these, of course. You can download them and use them yourselves. Um, And thank you for listening to this podcast, the Maths Podcast. Um, 
This is the seventh, I think, in this school year. We cover all sorts of topics, primary, secondary and post-16. Um, so please, you can get, the, get them on the Entertain website or wherever you get your normal podcasts. You can subscribe to us and uh, get notified twice every half term. We aim to uh, issue a new podcast. If, you'd, if you've liked what you've heard, please like us in, in however you do liking these days. And just uh, you can also speak to people, talk to people and pass on a link. Uh, and we really hope this is helping your own professional development. But uh, thank you very much for listening, and uh, we'll see you the next time there is an NCTM podcast. Goodbye.